Ephesians chapter 3. Ephesians chapter 3. You know, uh, I know y'all have been in conversations before where you know what you started the conversation with, the topic. But by the time you finished, it wasn't anywhere near related to where you started. Have y'all ever been in a conversation like that? Where you just say rabbit trails and you just get, oh, yeah, and there's thought here whether you kicked it one way or somebody else kicked it the other way and just went here and there. Ephesians chapter 3 feels exactly that way. Because we've got, we've got Paul going through in chapter 1, chapter 2, just flowing right along. And then in chapter 3, he opens up and says, For this reason, I, Paul, the prisoner of Christ Jesus, for the sake of you Gentiles, he starts his thought right there. And then he says, Surely you've heard about the administration of God's grace that was given to me for you. It's, it's like he makes a jump. He had his plan all night. He, he was going to talk about this. I think he probably jumps back over in chapter 4. But he, he gets things going, and it's like a thought hits him, and, he, and he, he wants to make sure they understand the whole picture of everything that's going on. Because he, he has talked about how in Christ, you and Gentile have been reconciled. He's, you know, he's laid out all these things, of what, what we've gained in Christ. And so now he says, you know, I, I want to make sure you understand what we're talking about here, where we've gotten from point A to point B. And as he lays that out, uh, we just, in a sense, I think he gets to say, let me tell you how great this is. Have y'all ever, now this is, this morning I did the same thing. I guess if I could pull up, if I could uh, link to the videos up here, we could have done that. I could have had this happen. Have y'all ever seen the videos where you've got some young man or some young lady about to go through on the computer to find out whether they've been accepted to the school that they've wanted to go to? Y'all watch some of those? And the family's all gathered around. Their parents are there where the siblings. And they're all there around it. The latest one I saw was actually a young man who had just, he had finished his education. He had taken the bar exam. And he's on the computer to find out what his score is. And he's got his mother there. He's got his dad there. I I think there was another person. And they're all gathered around. And I'm afraid, I I am surprised that computer survived. Because once it came up, and he saw that he passed the celebration. And he's flinging that computer every which way. And everybody's hugging and crying and carrying on. And they were just like, to celebrate good news with somebody was, oh, it, it feels, it doesn't have to be about you, but to see that go on. And here's what Paul has going on to say, let me tell you, let me tell you what God's done. So we get into, well, I started in verse 1. Let's start over in verse 2. Surely you've heard about the administration of God's grace that was given to me for you. And uh, that phrase right there, for you. Here, hold on to that because he says, this isn't a matter of, let me tell you what God has gotten me lined up for where I can tell her. He's like, let me tell you about what God has done for you. And I get to be a part of it. And in a sense, he gets to be the one to share the good news for them and to celebrate with them. And he's keeping that focus on what God has done for them. In verse 3, that is, the mystery made known to me by revelation as I have already written briefly. And so as he, he lays that out, he, it's just kind of a reminder of, let me tell you, let me remind you, he already has talked about it some, but let me tell you and remind you what God has done. Something where we can have a celebration, something to feel joy for, something to respond to. And he says, I, yeah, I got to be a part of that. He says, I get to be a part of, of sharing with you what God has given you and what God has done for you in Jesus Christ. And so as he lays that out for them, he says, um, you know, it's, oh, it's like this. this, this picture that came to mind, perfect. Have y'all ever had a, a, like a, when they're a little bit of a four or five-year-olds, probably are the perfect age for this. 
I, I did find watching Santa Claus that at three or four is about the perfect age, watching them come up to Santa Claus, because you know, there's just something special about that age, seeing Santa and being involved. But like when they're four or five, and, and they know the gift that you've been given. Have you ever watched a four and five-year-old vibrate with excitement and joy for you? I mean, that, that's what, in a sense, that's what we hear from Paul. Paul is like, I, I have something for you. And he, he just, for him, this is what it really is all about. It's not about him at all. But that he has seen what God has done. He knows what God has accomplished in Christ. He knows this good news. And, and he brings says, let me show you what, what God has given you. And is that excitement as he gets to be part of that. He lays that all out for them. And so when we look at that, Paul, Paul is telling them that this, this is what God has done for you. And in a sense, he lays that out. It's like, a, uh, oh, the excitement. In a sense, when he talks about mystery, he's talking about something that was hidden. When we're talking about gifts anyway, it's like any kind of gift. You don't know what's there till you open it up. And so as God was working his plan and, and working toward what he was going to accomplish in Christ, in a sense, now all of that has been opened back, revealed to where we can see, wow, look at what God has done. Look at what he's accomplished. So verse four, in reading this, then you will be able to understand my insight into the mystery of Christ. I, I, I love that verse. I, I'm going to get distracted. Without the slides, that means I don't have to be battle. Well, that's dangerous, isn't it? Um, but that idea, he says, when you read, this isn't something that you have to always come back to me to find out. Now, now what does that mean? He's saying, when you read this, you can understand what God had in mind all along. You can understand it. And, re- and see what God was coming on. Because this was, was a mystery not intended to be hidden and shared with just a select few. It was something intended to be revealed so that all of us can go, wow, look at what God has done. Look what he's accomplished in us. So verse 5, um, which was not made known to people in other generations as it has now been revealed by the Spirit to God's holy apostles and prophets. This mystery is that through the gospel, the Gentiles are heirs together with Israel, members together of one body, and sharers together in, the, in, in Christ Jesus. And so, you know, when he lays this out, that idea of, of a mystery is, um, you know, just to, to the, what was hidden before is now revealed, but then he, he brings it together. Um, oh, you know, when I was growing up, I was short and skinny. If you looked up my picture in the dictionary, it would have been next to... What's the, what's the definition of not very athletic? Because this big round, this tall. In, in fourth grade, I got saved from being labeled Shorty because there was a girl shorter than I was, and she, her nickname was Shorty. Saved right there. Can you imagine if I'd been stuck with Shorty for the rest of my life? But, you know, he, when, you, when you look at that, that idea of, of not really being there. And so the idea of, of, of being athletic, I didn't have any kind of things until I got, when well, I'm getting distracted, until I got later on in high school to a school that if you were breathing and walking, you got to take part in sports. That means short, skinny me even got to be part of that. But here when you talk about the Gentiles, it's that kind of picture. They, in a sense, got to stand on the outside and they saw what God was doing for Israel. When you look at everything God had promised to Israel, everything that God had done for Israel, and think, wow. You know, he, took a, he brought them out of Egypt. All the promises he'd given to Israel. All the good he'd given to them. And the Gentiles standing on the outside, and if you had any desire, it's like, 
They're the ones that were in the, in the good. And now he turns it around and he says, and, and I think the NIV did well here because he talks about and emphasizes that picture in verse 6 of uh, uh, heirs together with Israel. All of a sudden, you know, who is it that inherits when, when uh, parents have passed away? Who gets the inheritance? Children, unless you've been removed from the will. But uh, children. And so when you, when you lay that all out, you know... Children are the ones that inherit. And here he says to the Gentiles, you've been made part of it. You're heirs together with Israel. You've been included in that. Heirs together, uh, members together of one body. And, and that idea of together is what, and sharers together in the promise in Christ Jesus. So all the things that we might look at and go, that, I would love to be part of that. To, to gain what God has promised to Israel, to Abraham, and all the way down, and what came about in Christ, the promise that was made, the, to be part and included in the body, and what God has in mind for what they had. I mean, over and over again, he says, here's what God has done. He's made us a part. He's given us hope. He's provided for us so that we get to open up this gift and go beyond our imaginations. We've gained what we could never imagine in Christ Jesus perfect thing that, that we just needed all along. Now, Paul keeps on, you know, well, in a sense, I, you know, what I pictured in this was just standing on the outside, looking through the, the store window, wishing you could get whatever was on display. And that's where, in Christ, the doors opened up and said, come on, whatever, here it is. It's yours. And in Christ, we get that. And, and I don't know if we how well for us this far removed to, to realize what God has done to see the distinction that was made before Christ and now that we're brought back in to realize what's been done for us in Christ, to grab a hold of that. But now we are included. Paul keeps on. You think about that, that special, it's almost like Paul must have been super special to, for him to be able to go, let me tell you what God has done. He's, he's let me be the one to tell you about this. But he frames it a little bit differently than that. In verse, verse 7, it says, I became a servant of this gospel by the gift of God's grace given me through the working of his power. Although I'm less than the least of all the Lord's people, this grace was given me to preach to the Gentiles the boundless riches of Christ and to make plain to everyone the administration of this mystery, which for ages past was kept hidden in God and created all things. Did you all hear how he emphasized it? He said, you know what, God, the reason I get to tell people about this, he says, is because God, not because I was worthy, but because of God's grace. And in a sense, I think the, the picture isn't that he's the one that's been put in charge of this. It, I think the better picture is he says, I'm the one that gets to be the servant to everybody else. Uh, you know, uh, have you all ever, who's the most famous person you all have ever uh, seen in person? Y'all have anybody? I can outdo you. Chuck Norris. You know, Chuck Norris trumps all other famous people. I can tell you, because uh, in College Station at the uh, McAllister's, and it's not a McAllister's anymore, we walked in at the booth right there. Chuck Norris and his family sitting right there. He's not as big as he looks like on, on the screen. But uh, there he is. Of course, can't say anything. He's eating lunch. But it's like we were, we were this far from Chuck Norris. Now, can you imagine in a restaurant having, having a party of people come in and, and it's like somebody that you're just in awe of sitting at your table and you're the one that's getting to serve them. 
Y'all, would y'all talk about that as, yeah, I had to be the waiter. It was terrible. No, wouldn't we be excited about it? We said, let me tell you, let me tell you who I got to serve today. And, and it's that kind of picture. He's not saying, let me tell you what kind of authority I was given. He said, let me tell you how I got to serve, how I got to bring about something that was so wonderful and share it, to bring that together. Because the, that, that word is more way, akin to being like a waiter, being waitstaff, to, to be there for those who are at the table rather than the one sitting at the head of the table. And so as he lays that out, I think he gives that, that picture reminding us that he wouldn't made something special because of who he was, that he, by God's grace, he wouldn't claim it for his own, but God gave him that gift through his grace to be able to share with other folks. And, and as he lays this out, he goes on and said, let me tell you, there's even more. His intent, God's intent, in verse 10, was that now through the church, the manifold wisdom of God should be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly realms, according to his eternal purpose that he accomplished in Christ Jesus our Lord. In him and through faith in him, we may approach God with freedom and confidence. I ask you, therefore, not to be discouraged because of my sufferings for you, which are your glory. Now, at the end, he's like, don't, don't worry about me because I've been given something special. But in a sense, what he tells us and he gives us a reminder is that we become exhibit A of how great God is. He says his church, God's intent is through the church to show this world to show all the powers and authorities what God has accomplished in people that everybody else would have written off. That, that, that we had turned our, our backs. It's, it's a, the idea of saying, look at what God has done. You know, wow, can you imagine? The same as what... All right, we're back on. So can you imagine that, that idea of, uh, where was I? Oh, the amazing what God has done. Okay, there we are. That, that idea of, of being able to, when Paul goes, let me tell you the wonderful thing I've been given is to be able to share with you this. And then we turn around and are able to say, look, there is no way on my own I could have gotten where I am. Let me tell you how much God has done in my life, how I've been changed, how I've been given hope, how I've been given joy, and everything that goes on, that, that we are now able to step into God's presence. In a sense, it's almost like if, if we, Beth and I are walking by, I, can't remember, I guess the kids may have been with us, if we'd been walking by Chuck Norris, and he looked up and said, Hey, Leslie, Beth, sit down with us for a little bit. Now, that would have been a whole lot different, because first I've been going, how does he know our name? But then to be welcomed to sit down with he and his family. You know, it's one thing to see somebody famous, but then to feel like that they've included you, to be invited, to, for him to go, come out, come out to our place. We're going to be having a barbecue. I mean, that's, that's so much beyond what we could have ever even dreamed of. And then here he says, now in Christ, what we have is we become proof to all those around us. Let me tell you what God can accomplish. Let me tell you what he has. Oh, it's all right. Thank you. Uh, let me tell you what he is, has done in me. And we become that exhibit. And then we turn around and say, let me tell you what God allows me to do. That I can go into his presence. Not with fear or trembling or worried about what he's going to do to me because of what I've done in the past but being welcomed 
and brought into, welcomed into his presence. The door opened and said, I've been watching, I'm glad you're here. I wonder if sometimes we envision because of our past, God coming into his presence is like, well, here, sit back here in the back. No, wait a minute, church, that's a good spot, isn't it? Um, come, you know, come, you know, that idea of, well, stand over here, we'll see how you do. It's almost like we look at our lives and go, there's no way God would want me, as opposed to God saying, there you are, more like the father toward the prodigal son. He said, I'm so glad you're home. That's what he's done for us in Christ. And lay that out. Now, Paul, he says, in light of all that, of what, uh, what God has done for us, in verse 14, he says, let me tell you what I pray for now. When you think about, when we talk about what we would pray for somebody that's become a Christian, what is it that we really want them to be able to grab a hold of? To fill their hearts and minds with. What do we want them to be able, what we want them to, to grow. We want all these kind of things. What, what would we ask for prayers for ourselves in, in light of our faith? And so I think Paul here says, you know, let me tell you what I pray for. Because this makes a world of difference for all of us. Verse 14, for this reason, I kneel before the Father, from whom, bless you, from whom every family in heaven and on earth derives its name. I pray that out of his glorious riches, he may strengthen you with power through his spirit in your inner being so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. That right there, just the idea of, oh, you know what I pray is that God will give you the strength that you need for whatever comes. That you will be able to get through today. And, And in this day, hold on to God. Knowing that He is our hope. That God will give you that strength for today, no matter what comes. And, and this strength that, he's, that He gives, that with power through His Spirit. I mean, that idea of, of saying, it's not just He hadn't abandoned us. I, I worry sometimes that we think that once we've come out of the waters of baptism, that God has said, okay, good luck. And now we've got to work it out on our own and figure out if I can get here and if I can remain faithful and if I can do what God wants me to do. And and all these things that we take on, all these burdens on our shoulders to wrestle with, can I get through this without realizing God didn't say good luck and push us away, that we have His Spirit within us, that we've never been alone, that we've never been abandoned, that He's been there with us in, in whatever circumstance, whether we're struggling or we're having the best days of our lives, that God has been there all along. And his prayer is that we would have that strength and, and grow in it to become stronger. Um, so that, that and now I, I like that, uh, no, where is it? I've got this quote. No, that's, that's coming up next. Um, that, uh, that idea of, of, of becoming strong. Now, verses 20 and 21, we're going to jump down there because it, he keeps that idea of the power that, he, that God has. Uh, now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine, according to his power that is at work within us, to him be the glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. Amen. To him who is able to do immeasurably more than we ask, can ask or imagine. According to the power that is at work in us. 
We can talk about, let me tell you how, how, how powerful God is. And we can talk about his power, that he spoke everything that we see into existence. What God is able to do, and he says, he's working in us. That's the same God who is at work in our lives and in us. And, and so that power, when we talk about his power, what we need to has, have that frame of reference that we would stop saying, I can't. And look to the one who can. Because he's been there all along with us. And he's the one working in us. And that's, that's the power that when Paul says, you know, I pray. I pray that God will give you that strength through his power. I pray that you will really understand what is at work in you. Who is at work in you. And the difference it makes. Second thing he prays for, verse 17. I was almost jumping ahead in my mind on this. Verse 17, he says, So that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, and I pray that you, being rooted and established in love, may have power together with all the Lord's holy people to grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ, and to know this love that surpasses knowledge that you may be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. I I think that we've got to... uh, I don't know if we understand what he's really praying for there for us. Do we believe that God loves us? Now, see, that's an easy question. You're supposed to say, yes, we know Jesus loves me. We know that song, don't we? We know that God loves us. How well do we understand how much God loves us? You know, his prayer, that first part of verse uh, 17, I think, is that idea of wanting wanting us and wanting that we'll draw closer and closer to God in every way. Uh, the uh, NLT words it this way. It says, then Christ will make his home in your hearts as you trust in him. So that he'll be there in us. But then he, he continues on that the one of the central principles that he wants us to understand is that we are deeply loved. Deeply loved. And if we come to understand that aspect of things, how much that verse 18, that you may have power to grasp how high, how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ. And to know this love that surpasses knowledge. You hear how he emphasizes that his prayer is that we'll be able to grab a hold of and then to understand even more how much we're loved. Because you think about how how many of our struggles in this world sometimes come down, boil down to that we're not confident we're really loved as much as we, we, uh, well, we don't believe we're loved that much we'll put accept you know uh, well God has to love us have you all ever heard somebody say that one it's like mom and daddy mom and daddy have to love no your mom and daddy do not have to love you hate to break it to you they choose God loves not because he is forced to when we say that's who he is 
but he's not forced to do something he doesn't want to do. He loves us. He created us. He knows us. And his love, even we can go over, I'm going to jump over to Romans. When you get into Romans, where he says, while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. That's how he showed his love for us. He loved us even then. And so when we can understand and are able to say without any pause, God, God loves me. God loves us. No doubts. No exceptions. We are loved. And when we come to understand that, it'll change how we live and how we think. Because what happens when God loves us deeply and we mess up? When we understand that love, we know His goal isn't to get rid of us that quick. He wants us home. His heart breaks when we walk off. He's not going, good riddance, I'm glad they're finally out of here. He never has, never will. His desire is for us to be with Him. And so He's not looking for a reason to kick us to the curb. He has always wanted us home. And when we have that picture in mind, then it's not, I'm afraid to go home. It's home is the one safe place I have in this world. That when I come back home, God is there. And he's been waiting for us all along. I think uh, all that chapter, even though it all, it sounds like Oh, chase a rabbit. And then chapter 4, he gets back to his topic. But just to boil it down to that, that the two central principles to ground us in our lives in Christ. When we understand God's power, because then we know we're trusting one who can. Is God able to save us? Is God able and, and faith is saying he can. He keeps his promises. He's faithful. He's able to, to do what needs to be done, no doubt about it. And when we understand that, we begin rest knowing God can and that his love for us. When we understand that, that he has wanted us home all along. And all our ups and downs, he's been the one, he's, He's been the one waiting for us and provided a way home always. When we get those two principles settled within our hearts, you get up on a Monday morning and it changes changes how you view the day. Because it's then we're able to say, no matter what this day brings, if this day's my last, still good. I don't have to fear or doubt or wonder because the one I trust is able. The one I trust loves us. And I want to 
put my trust in him. Do what he's always promised. Do you need prayers this evening? Do you need a reminder of what God has done? How much you're loved? If you need anything, respond in any way. Would you come now as we stand and sing?